developing your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. It's January 3rd. I'm Brian Dean Wright, former CIA operations officer, and this is The Wright Report. Hey, good day to you, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Right Report, your daily news podcast. I've got three briefs for you this morning that are shaping America and the world. First up, Harvard University's president resigned yesterday under fire for her plagiarism and handling of anti-Semitic violence. I'll explain why you should care. Second, the Biden White House watered down the vetting process for illegal migrants, specifically those coming from China. I'll tell you how. Third, updates from the Middle East, with a key Hamas leader now dead. Also, Israel is changing its military strategy. And finally, Iran is developing more material for a likely nuclear weapon. Details shortly. Later, a series of listener questions today that I couldn't cover last week during that unscripted series. I'll address some of those questions today, including one about the videos that I do on Substack. One person wanted to know, What is that picture behind me on the wall? Well, it has to do with my family's legacy in this country. Pretty neat. I'll explain. But first, let's get to our top stories of the morning. Harvard University's President Claudine Gay resigned in disgrace yesterday under fire for her plagiarism and handling of anti-Semitic violence on her campus. It makes her the shortest serving president since Harvard was founded all the way back in the year 1636. Ms. Gay said in a letter yesterday that she took no responsibility for the confirmed cases of her plagiarism throughout her academic career. She then announced that she was not going anywhere, actually. Quote, as I now return to the Harvard faculty and to the scholarship and teaching that are the lifeblood of what we do, I pledge to continue working alongside you, fellow Harvard professors, to build the community we all deserve, end quote. So this promise to continue her Harvard career comes just one day after the Washington Free Beacon reported six additional confirmed cases of her plagiarism, pushing the total known number of cases to right about 50. But what got her originally in uh, the hot seat was her testimony in December, where she struggled to answer whether it would be a violation of Harvard's student code of conduct if kids called for the genocide of Jews. In fact, students at Harvard have been doing that in blaming Israel for the Hamas terror attacks back on October 7th. Now, to refresh our memories on her response to this question about being a violation of student code of conduct, she said that those calls for death uh, for the Jews could be acceptable if the students who said it, well, depends on the context of how they said it. And that starts to get at the heart of why her resignation is such a big deal and why you should care. So back in September, the free speech uh, watchdog group that is called FIRE, they issued a report that showed a profound bias at Harvard for how it polices its speech on campus with progressive or far left speech very much protected on campus, whereas conservative speech is either effectively banned or shunned. 
In fact, the FIRE report listed Harvard as the worst in the nation for all the schools who are trying to uphold free speech. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is deeply alarming given, given these three facts. First, over the past 20 years, two of America's presidents were alumnus of Harvard, George Bush and Barack Obama. Next, we know that seven of the last eight confirmed Supreme Court justices graduated from either Harvard or the fellow Ivy League University, Yale. Finally, these Ivies also have a disproportionate number of graduates who serve in the U.S. Senate and House. In other words, folks, America's elite, our ruling class, is shaped and molded by these cultures and the academics that are set by people like Claudine Gay. And that is frightening, at least in the case of Miss Gay, to explain. Let me pivot now from facts and data because we are starting to get into some analysis and opinion. So two things. First, Miss Claudine Gay had little to no academic skill that would have justified her ever holding the position of president at Harvard. As we now know, she cheated her way to the top. But that doesn't quite fully explain her eyes. Critics say that she is a diversity hire selected because of her black skin or her female gender. And there is actually evidence to suggest that that is true. A Harvard alumnus named Bill Ackman has intimated that he knows that that is part of the reason for both her original hiring and Harvard's reluctance to later fire her. In other words, Harvard cared more for diversity and inclusion and equity than they did in actual merit or honesty. And that takes us to the second reason for why we should care. Miss Gay holds either radicalized le leftist beliefs or was certainly willing to allow those to flourish on her campus, all at the expense of either independent or conservative thought. And as we now know, and I've just shared with you, that is nightmarishly bad as that culture and those uh, radicalized set of leftist beliefs then seep into the minds of the tens of thousands of students, certainly at Harvard, that then go on to rule over you. It's your nation's presidents, Congress, Supreme Court justices. So that is why these schools matter, along with their radicalized professors and leaders. And that is why I am so distressed this morning that Miss Gay will remain on Harvard's faculty, as she said, to teach a new generation of Americans. She should not be allowed to do so. She and those like her must be removed from not just Harvard, but frankly, polite society. Otherwise, my friends, they will turn our society into something far from polite. And with that, let's turn to our second report of the morning. The Biden White House is watering down the vetting process, ladies and gentlemen, for illegal migrants who are coming to this country, including and especially those from China. That is the latest results from an investigation by the Daily Caller outlet, and it's confirmed by my own sources. So let me tell you what we know this morning. Up until April of last year, Chinese illegals that were encountered at the border were asked around 40 questions to confirm who they are, why they are coming to America, their connections to the Communist Party or its intelligence services or its military. But starting last spring, the Biden White House ordered U.S. Customs and Border Protection to ask Chinese illegal migrants encountered at the border fewer questions. The number went from 40 to only five. And the goal was to process more illegals from China and allow them entry faster into the United States. What's worse is that these five questions 
are now widely known to all sorts of prospective illegal migrants, especially those coming from China. So they are now better prepared to even more quickly pass through. To give you a sense of how quickly they are now moving through, former deputy patrol agent uh, that was quoted by the folks at Daily Caller said that instead of hours of interrogation of Chinese nationals, these illegals now get through in only a couple of minutes. They are then transported throughout this country by migrant activist groups and religious organizations like Catholic Charities. And that is just absolutely incredible. As listeners know, the U.S. government, whether that be the CIA or FBI or a Pentagon, they have all acknowledged that China is our greatest threat. And that should prompt additional scrutiny of Chinese illegals, not less. In fact, there is a category that is called special interest aliens or SIAs. Those are nationalities that get additional scrutiny at the border because they belong to a particular country that uh, encourages us to think about additional national security concerns or likely connections to things like terrorism. These countries, by the way, usually include uh, Yemen, Pakistan, Syria, but not China. Indeed, as it appears this morning, the Biden White House has refused to not only list the Chinese on this CIA docket list for additional review, but they actually are encouraging them to come in even faster. One last thing to tell you about, and this is a reminder, over the past two years, DHS and CPB have processed over 35,000 Chinese illegal migrants. So those are the latest facts and data this morning on what is the invasion of America, ladies and gentlemen, through our southern border. Let me now offer my analysis and opinion. Well, folks, this news uh, is the straw that breaks the camel's back for me. And, and let's talk about why. So let's assume that the 35,000 Chinese illegals that have come through over the past couple of years, they're mostly good people. They are fleeing communist China. They're trying to get away from that dictator Xi in fact, let's be incredibly charitable. Let's say that 99% of those folks are just otherwise good. Well, that still leaves 1% that are bad, right? That is 350 Chinese saboteurs or assassins, the cyber attackers and the like. And they are being sent here by Beijing to do us harm. Because as folks know, we are China's greatest enemy. So of course they would use this vector to insert saboteurs and assassins into our country. So here's where I am at this morning. I believe that we have crossed the point of no return. Of course, unless we adopt some very draconian solutions that I offered you last week. That was on the 26th, in case you missed that list of top 10 solutions. But absent that, and absent new leadership in the White House, I am going to assume that the Chinese will hit us at some point, And when they do, it will be hard. And so on this podcast... From this point forward, I will increasingly focus on how you and your families can prepare for, what, for frankly, what is likely coming, because we can't stop it. But if that's true, what we can at least do is try to manage the fallout and protect ourselves and our families. And I appreciate that this might sound alarmist or fear-mongering. Some have said that in the past. But as I would say to you, uh, as ever, you can review the right report transcripts. You can explore all the sourcing for my assessments. And as you do, you can come up with your own conclusions about the nature and the likelihood of this threat. And if it is different from mine, very well. Ultimately, it's about your family, your risk, your choice. But for those who agree with me, 
We are going to talk about how to thoughtfully prepare for this new reality, and we are going to do so dispassionately with a sober mind and steady hands, because that is what the facts and data suggest that we should do this morning, my friends. The threat is real, and it is growing, and frankly, at this point, it is unstoppable. I think that is sadly very clear. More to come. With that, let's take our first break of the morning. For subscribers who are listening at writereport.substack.com, thank you. Meanwhile, for my other loyal listeners, an equal thanks. We'll be right back. Folks, a few months ago, you might remember that I had a very strange tech issue. My gear melted down on me. Well, to fix and protect those systems, I used a company called Cronovi. That's spelled K-R-O-N-O-V-I. And I want to tell you about them. It's a small IT company that offers a range of services from advanced forensic challenges like mine, but also for simple consumer needs too, like website creation or basic tech support or helping you install and operate some fancy gadgetry that maybe you got at a birthday or Christmas time. Meanwhile, for businesses, they offer you a ton of great advanced services too, like app development or digital transformation, cloud services, e-commerce, and they do all of that and so much more at a tremendous value. By the way, the most important part of that value for me was trust. Cronovi has an Idaho-based, U.S.-run tech support team with professional certifications and backgrounds that certainly impressed me, and I know it will impress you. So go to cronovi.com. Again, that is K-R-O-N-O-V-I. Reach out to their team and they will get back to you on whatever your tech project might be, that be big or small, personal or business. Plus, here is an awesome benefit. For the folks who are paid subscribers on Substack, you are going to get 20% off of all of Cronovi's services. Just look for the promo code on the daily emails that I send you. And that discount, that could be hundreds or even thousands of dollars in savings, depending, of course, on your project. So again, everybody, go to KRO novi.com and use this wonderful Idaho-based American-run tech team that I use and trust. Again, that's K-R-O-N-O-V-I.com. My friends, have you gotten your Factor Meals yet? If not, holy smokes, you should. Factormeals.com is the best meal delivery company in the United States. I promise you this. I have tried the others. These guys are it. They give you more than 35 different meal options to choose from every single week. That includes Calorie Smart, which is a pretty good idea after the holidays. Also, they've got Protein Plus, which is a great idea for after the gym. And even Vegetarian Options, which is a great idea for people who are crazy. Just kidding. We love our vegetarians, too. Well, anyway, it's all delivered, ladies and gentlemen. Fresh, right to your doorstep. Never frozen. All you got to do is open the box, and after a couple of minutes of heating, you have got a great meal to enjoy. And that's true for breakfast, lunch, dinner. Plus, they've got some wonderful grab-and-go snacks and some tasty cold-pressed juices, shakes, and smoothies. As ever, I've told you this before, I love their pork chops. They've also got shredded chicken tacos that are so good. Also, they've got a new lasagna that is out, and it is top-notch. These meals, folks, really are delicious, and they are a perfect option for either busy people like me or retired folks who just want good, healthy meals, but they don't want the fuss of cooking. 
So support the folks who support this podcast, my friends, and get yourselves Factor Meals at 50% off right now. So go to factormeals.com slash right five zero. That's W-R-I-G-H-T five zero. And you get 50% off. Yeah. Again, that's promo code right five zero at factormeals.com slash right five zero and get that 50% off. But more importantly, my friends, you're getting a meal service that is good for your body and great for your taste buds. I guarantee it. Welcome back to The Right Report. Let's continue with our news this morning with a pivot towards international developments. Three updates for us out of the war in the Middle East. First, we start to the north of Israel in the country of Lebanon, where six people were killed in a drone strike yesterday in the capital city, including a senior member of Hamas. The terrorist's name was Saleh al-Aruri. He was a deputy chief of Hamas who played a key role in organizing terror attacks into Israel, along with coordinating his group's terror activities with the country of Iran, plus their terrorist organizations that they support, like Hezbollah. Well, as you would expect after this drone strike, Hamas and other terror groups throughout the Middle East promised revenge. The Israeli government knows that something very nasty is likely to hit them in response. It has placed its military on, quote, a very high state of readiness, end quote. The question, of course, is when, where, and how this Islamist revenge will take place. We note that the drone strike occurred in Beirut, the capital of Lebanon. As I shared with you back on December 19th, that country may be the next front in this war, up to and including an invasion by Israeli forces because of the presence of those Hezbollah terrorists in the south of Lebanon. So this drone strike may result in what we could call a, a cascading series of attacks and counterattacks from Lebanon and Israel. Indeed, it would then make my prediction back in December all the more likely of a greater escalation of a regional war. Well, adding more fuel to that uh, predictive fire that I offered you back in uh, December, well, here it is. The Iranians were already promising to broaden the fight with Israel and the United States for a separate Israeli strike. It was on a very senior Iranian military officer about a week ago. His name was, or is, uh, was, I guess he's dead now, Razi Musovi. He was a commander uh, with something called the Quds Force. So we would imagine that this will only strengthen that resolve for Iran and its desire for revenge. So that is what I will be watching for over the next number of days and weeks. Revenge, by the way, that could take the form of either first a direct attack uh, on Israel by Iran. Second, it could be a dramatic assault of Israel by Hezbollah forces based in Lebanon. Or third and finally, we could see greater attacks on U.S. service members by Iranian-backed drones in places like Iraq, Syria, and the Red Sea. Indeed, we have seen about 100 of those over the past three months, but we certainly could see more. I'll keep you posted. Second, this morning regarding the war into Israel, the Israeli military and government have announced that offensive operations in the Gaza Strip will widen with more operations, but they will start to become a bit more targeted with perhaps fewer troops. So here's what we know. Israeli airstrikes continue to pound central and southern Gaza this morning, pushing further into cities and refugee camps in those areas. Tanks and troops are following up after that barrage of missiles and artillery. They are then uh, searching the ground for additional members of Hamas, especially the senior leaders. But as listeners know, this approach comes with two major costs. 
First, it is a heavy toll on Palestinian civilians with death numbers around 10,000 as of this morning. The exact number remains contested. Second, there is a cost to the Israeli economy. Estimates range from either a depressed growth rate for the next year or even a recession, all because the troops are mostly made of reservists. Those are folks who used to, of course, work in Israeli businesses, but they are now limiting their operations because they are out of workers. And that is a part of the reason, I think, for why late last week, the Israeli government announced that some of the troops would be rotating out of service, several thousand in all. All that said, it is also true that the U.S. and European powers have been pushing the Israelis to lower the Palestinian death toll, and by doing so to lower the temperature in the Middle East and then lower the likelihood of an expanded war throughout the region. And it is for those uh, reasons then that Israel is now withdrawing a few thousand of its uh, fighters, but mostly up in the northern areas of Gaza, Those who remain in the north will engage in what the Israelis are calling mop-up operations. Those are low-intensity fights that focus mostly on fighting individual Hamas fighters. Whether or not the Israelis can transition to this next phase fully, both throughout the north and the south of Gaza, well, that remains to be seen, especially considering our third and final update of the morning out of the Middle East. There is growing concern amongst Arabs and Palestinians that this war in the Gaza Strip will ultimately lead to virtually all Palestinians being pushed out of the Strip and into Egypt. And their fear would, of course, as you would imagine, likely lead to some serious escalation right now before it actually would happen. So this fear is being stoked in no small part because of remarks that were made over the weekend by a relatively senior official in the Israeli government, the finance minister. So here is what he said, quote, what needs to be done in the Gaza Strip is to encourage emigration. If there are only 100,000 or 200,000 Arabs in Gaza and not 2 million, the entire discussion about the day after in Gaza will be totally different. Most of Israeli society will say, why not? Gaza is a nice place. Let's make the desert bloom. And it wouldn't come at anyone's expense. The Palestinians would be mostly gone, end quote. Now, it is true that this finance minister is not part of the Israeli war cabinet, so it is not official Israeli policy, but Prime Minister Netanyahu has not condemned or otherwise distanced himself from these remarks, at least as of this recording. But uh, holding one's tongue, that is not true in the Biden White House this morning. Both it and others in Europe are condemning this remark in pretty strong terms. They are afraid of escalation. So those are the latest facts and data this morning out of the Middle East. Let me now pivot to my analysis and opinion of what all this means, especially for you and your families. Folks, as I shared with you back on October 9th, the Israelis are wrestling with this fundamental question. How many neighbors can you have that want you dead? And how do you control that? Well, one solution is by taking or occupying more Palestinian territory whether that be the whole of Gaza or something called the Philadelphia Corridor. That is a strip of land between Gaza and Egypt that we will talk about later this week. But whatever the tactical advantages of doing that might be, in other words, no matter how much it might make sense to reduce the territory that your enemy might have in your backyard, well, it comes with a price. In this case, it feeds the Arab propaganda machine that the Israelis are occupiers. And that stokes the fires from Lebanon to Iran to Yemen, that the only way to deal with this, with the Israelis, is via more direct military confrontation. 
In other words, escalation and ultimately regional war. And that impacts you and all of us. The fallout includes the lives of U.S. forces stationed in Iraq and Syria this morning, plus in the Red Sea. It would also affect global trade routes, as we discussed on Monday. But there is something else, and it's something that a lot of people are not talking about in terms of potential escalation and the costs, and you should know about this. Over the Christmas holiday, international inspectors confirmed that the country of Iran had tripled the production of near-nuclear-grade weapons material, and they did so starting back in late November. It will now take Iran about two weeks to convert what they are producing into weapons-grade uranium for a nuclear bomb. For folks unaware, they already have enough material for about three bombs, give or take, but this latest ramp-up would give them even more material, and it could all be delivered by their very well-developed arsenal of rockets. And I'll tell you, if Israeli intelligence finds out that that is happening, that there is more material and they are miniaturizing it for a nuclear warhead, well, the Israelis have already said very publicly that they would launch military operations on those assorted Iranian nuclear facilities. So taking this concern and combine it with the growing fight in Lebanon this morning and the rhetorical battles about Israel taking more of the Gaza Strip, well, the temperature in the region, ladies and gentlemen, is getting a lot hotter this morning. And as that temperature gets hotter, the ability for cooler heads to prevail goes down. Now, that does not ensure that a broader regional war will happen. It simply means that the likelihood of such will grow. So as ever, ladies and gentlemen, I will be watching these things very closely, especially how Iran and its proxy groups seek revenge in the coming days and weeks, because that could have effects on all of us, especially with loved ones this morning in the U.S. Armed Forces. More to come. With that, ladies and gentlemen, we conclude this morning's episode of The Right Report. But I've got one more thing before I let you go. We'll be right back. Well, folks, by now you know that some listeners like to call me the angel of death because apparently I deliver such bad news on this podcast. Well, if that's you and this podcast keeps you up at night, well, calm yourselves right back down and do so with a comfy bed from Ghostbed. <laughs> yep, it's a company that I think makes the finest mattresses in all of America. And y'all know that is true because I own one. I have the Lux model. That one is designed to help people like me who sleep a little bit hot. But they've got other great models, too. There's the classic. Uh, there is the massage bed. That sounds fun. Plus, there's one called 3D Matrix. That sounds scary, but I still want one. Doesn't matter. Whatever model you choose from Ghostbed, just do it. These mattresses are built with high-quality materials, fine craftsmanship, and when you get into that ghost bed, you feel both of those things. And great news, you can get one of these mattresses delivered right to your doorstep. And if that makes you a little bit nervous, you know, to buy a bed without lying in it first, well, I get it. But Ghostbed has already solved that problem. They have a 101-day trial period plus free shipping and returns. So, folks, if Brian, the angel of death, scares you during the day, let Ghostbed protect you at night with a great night's sleep. And here's the best part. Get 50% off when you do. Go to ghostbed.com slash right. That's W-R-I-G-H-T. And 50% off your Ghostbed purchase will be given to you, my friends. But you got to use that website, ghostbed.com slash right. Oh, boy. But when you do, you are going to get that good night's sleep that you deserve. I guarantee it. 
Welcome back to The Right Report with one more thing before I let you go. It is a series of listener questions today sent to us from my paid subscribers at rightreport.substack.com. So last week, I had a lot of fun responding to questions that listeners had sent in over the past number of months. Last week, we spoke about China, immigration, plus some great questions about me and the CIA. A lot of fun stuff, totally unscripted. And if you missed out on that, well, that's a shame. Ah, that's all right, though. It is still all there if you want to go back, and I would encourage you to do so. But there were a series of questions that I just couldn't get to last week, so let me start to address a few more of them. One that I got was from Brett from somewhere in America. Brian, he said, I noticed that on your Substack videos, there is a picture behind you of what looks like uh, the letter C with two dashes coming out of it. So what does that mean? Well, Brett, uh, that is a cattle brand, and it is one of the four that my family has used in this country since we have been farming and ranching, well, certainly in Oregon since 1852, and it's a special one. It's the one that I remember most from when I was a kid. It reminds me of, oh gosh, all the sacrifice, all the hard work that my family has put into the ranch and into this country, and it represents this hard work and sacrifice, frankly, of so many other families in this country as well. It is a reminder to me that this country is exceptional. And as I shared with you back during the Thanksgiving episode, we have so much to be proud of in this country. Sadly, uh, this nation is currently being led by idiots and traitors. That is true. But we can still fix it, I think. That very strong DNA of our ancestors, that stuff runs through our blood. So there you go, Brett. That picture... It's a cattle brand. It is certainly embraced by my family, but ultimately it is a celebration of this country. Next up, we got David from somewhere in America. He had another podcast question for me. Brian, he said, are you planning to sell merch at any point? Maybe some CIA bobblehead dolls or spy cameras or invisible ink? Ah, Just kidding. I see merchandise, Brian, as another way to support your podcast. Well, David, first of all, how nice of you. You know, I could just see it. A Brian bobblehead. Ah, People will use it for fun. Maybe a voodoo doll. Probably a few of my exes. Anyway, other folks on Substack, David, have also asked me this same question. And here's my response. I would love to. I would love to offer up fun merchandise, especially to bring you all into my family's world of farming and ranching and the logging and mining communities from where I'm, I'm from. I've got some great ideas. Uh, like the, the family cattle brand that we just talked about. I am so proud of that and what it means for America. And I'd love to share that with you in merch. But merchandise has a long tail of logistics from the design to the uh, customer relations management process and returns and things. And I'm just not resourced for that yet. But down the line, yeah, you bet. Next up, we've got Anonymous from Strasburg, Virginia, which, by the way, is a beautiful place. If memory serves, that is out in the Shenandoah Valley. Wow, gorgeous. Anyway, Brian, given your background, one of your natural personal qualities is likely to be gregarious or charismatic. For those of us who are not blessed with those qualities, what would you recommend as some tips to better connect with people in a manner that will lead to continued follow-on engagement? Oh, I love this question a lot because it's one that I worked on and I shared with my students when I was an instructor and taught my young trainees the art and science of espionage. 
So some of the answer uh, that I could you know, potentially give you, well, some of it's classified, but here is a tip that I can share. Be interested and be interesting. So let's unpack this. The first part, be interested in people. When you meet someone, I guarantee you that they have a lot of fascinating things about them or their families or their life journey. It is going to be full of great joys and sorrows, accomplishments, failures. So be curious about people. And this is important. Be earnest as you do. Really enjoy yourself as you learn about a new person. And here's the selfish reason for doing that. Their journey will give you something of value, something that you can learn from or will make you think or contemplate on. That could be that one of those accomplishments or a failure, a joy, the sorrows. All of it has something of value for you in your life. So be interested when you meet people. Second, be interesting. Right? If you're interesting with a rich life that was full of strange places, interesting spots abroad that you've lived. Maybe you've got some fun hobbies that you're passionate about or quite good at. Or maybe you're well-read, an expert on something. And when you sit down with people, they really enjoy your humble insights and what they can learn from you. Well, being interesting, that encourages folks to talk to you more. And consequently, and over time, you eventually start to become more gregarious and charismatic, generally speaking. And that's all because people want to be around you because you're giving them something to be attracted to. And yes, sometimes that means they will be attracted to you romantically, but that is not the point. The point in the world of Intel is being interesting means that your potential assets want to spend more time with you, even if they're busy. And that is the goal for an Intel officer to get time on target. So be interesting, and you too can be like James Bond, recruit an asset, or even one of those Bond girls. Anyway, just saying. One more question this morning. Jeffrey from somewhere in America, he said this, Brian, would you ever accept a position in the next Republican administration with the goal of changing the CIA back to being nonpartisan? Oh, Jeffrey, no. No, I I think I'm done living in D.C. or Northern Virginia, as lovely as Virginia is. There's one tiny maybe that I would consider, and and this would be true for either a Democrat or Republican administration who understands the world. Put me in one of those forward operating bases that we talked about yesterday in Texas or Arizona, where the focus would be to crush the cartels and to restore our southern border. I would think about that. Or maybe a similar kind of fob somewhere in Asia or Africa that would be focusing on crushing the Chinese Communist Party. I would think about that too. But overall, I think I'm just done. In fact, right now, I've got a podcast to grow. And I am having a lot of fun doing this. So, Jeffrey, thank you. Good question. But I think I'm officially retired. Folks, as ever, if you would like me to answer one of your questions on the podcast, it's easy to do. Either donate via my Stripe account, which you will find a link for in the show notes. Just make sure you leave me your email and I'll be in touch. Otherwise, here's the easiest way. Go to writereport.substack.com, sign up as a paid subscriber, and at the bottom of each day's Substack post, you can leave me a comment or ask me a question.
And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we conclude your morning brief. As always, I will see you tomorrow, God willing. Until then, I leave you with the creed of every good spy and every wise American. They're the words from the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 32. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Good day.